Good morning, good afternoon. This is Mark Johnson, CEO of Loyalty 360. Uh, hope everyone is well. Welcome you to another episode of our Loyalty 360 podcast series where we talk to the leaders in the customer channel and brand loyalty space. We, uh, today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Bill Tyne, who's the Vice President of Marketing for King Arthur Flower. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Can you give us a brief overview of King Arthur Flower and your role with the company? Sure. Um, brief for King Arthur. There's a, you know, kind of redefines the, the, the term. We, we were founded in 1790. Um, we like to kind of reference it as George Washington was, was the president of the time to just give a sense of the historical nature. And we were, we were a flower company then, uh, which is pretty amazing that we're still, that, that we still, you know, I'd say we're a baking company now. Um, flower is certainly a big part of what we do. Um, and, and we've grown uh, significantly. We have, uh, pretty significant grocery store uh, business, as well as a professional uh, food service business. You know, providing flour and other products to professional bakeries, and then a big direct-to-consumer business. Our our website. Okay, great. One of the things I was doing some reading about uh, your company and, and what you've went through during COVID-19, um, you're kind of viewed as the high-end. The flour company, at least, is viewed as kind of a high-end flour company, right? So. Uh, kind of, it's more consistent. It's a higher quality uh, flour than maybe some of the competitive entities, correct? Yeah, basically, our, our both our specifications for the for the products we have um, are at the high end of the scale. So, so they cost more. Uh, you know, in in terms of flour, our protein levels are higher, and the specification is tighter. Um, you know, and also with flour, we're unbleached. Uh, so that that sometimes can add to cost because we have to source a, a higher quality wheat. Okay, awesome. Customer loyalty, obviously, uh, that's very important to us. We love to talk to marketers, understand how they define customer loyalty, what it means to them, both from a connotative and, and denotative perspective. Can you talk to us about uh, or define what customer loyalty means to King Arthur Flour in, in, in your organization? Uh yeah, I'd say it's everything. Um, it's full spectrum. Customer loyalty for us starts with the product. You know, operations is a big part of customer loyalty, making sure the products are, are always the best they can be and get to the consumer in, in the form that they're expecting. Um, and then maybe more traditional parts of customer loyalty are, are consumer engagement. Um, so I think it's a full spectrum approach that, that we think about. That's awesome. Uh, you know, as COVID-19 went into uh, kind of effect, I guess, the state of home orders went into place, the interest in baking skyrocketed, and you guys had to scramble pretty quickly to kind of meet that huge demand, right? Uh, can you talk about maybe that, that process, what happened, also how you kind of source the flour and, and kind of the, the whole manufacturing piece? Because I find that piece probably the most fascinating piece of the story, but uh, other people may not find it as interesting. But it's just a really cool story about how you guys – address that so rapidly as well yeah well for us we were uh this really started in in early to mid-march and we were building our inventories for the easter holiday so we had a decent size inventory level um and that helped us withstand some of the initial demand but the increase in demand was so high that our inventories level were quickly depleted um, we, we were in the slower time of the year in terms of our milling and, and, and operation uh, norms. Uh, and so we had to, over the course of a month, work with our partners and mills to, to ramp up production again. Um, and at a time that it was really difficult uh, 
fortunately for flour milling, it's a pretty, uh, you know, the mills don't require a lot of people in them to, to run, um, unlike some other operations. So social distancing generally wasn't a problem, um, but we did have to add shifts. Uh, and, and we really had to redirect our resources pretty significantly to not only get more product packaged and, and, on, and on, the, on the road, um, but also just place, you know, placing and managing orders. You know, the, the whole supply chain take, takes a huge amount of effort. Uh, right. We made some changes. We, we shifted a lot of our, of our uh, freight from rail to truck. Uh, it's more expensive, but it's faster. So we were getting the product to the customers faster. Um, and we started to think long-term uh, pretty quickly because we were expecting it to, to, to stick, uh, the levels to stick around. And one of the things that we, we have such a great co connection to our consumers that we had firsthand knowledge that a lot of them were not pantry loading. They were buying flour and other baking products to bake. Um, and so because of that, we knew that, that the demand would stick around for a while. Excellent. With uh, one of my best friends actually is a, uh, a, a corn farmer and soybeans. So I know a little bit about that process with, with flour, where did you have to source it from? Because obviously was it in season? Did you have to source it for internationally? How can, can you kind of dry flour and keep it uh, like corn? Cause corn, you can dry it out and you can, can store it for a period of time. Can you do the same thing with flour as well? I'm just, I'm, I'm not familiar with that process. Yeah, we, we can store for quite a, quite a while. I think we, you know, you know, anecdotally, I, I think there's been wheat found in, you know, the Egyptian, you know, tombs, or, you know, so okay. I, I, it, it can store for quite a, quite a while. And, and even our sourcing processes to make sure that we get the high protein levels will sometimes take wheat out of storage. Um, retail flour, which is what you would find in a five pound bag on the grocery store shelf, is actually a really small uh, amount of total flour usage. Uh, and so even though the, the demand for retail and home baking flour has skyrocketed, uh, in the grand scheme of things, there's still more than enough flour to go around. Our biggest challenge was the packaging lines to pack five pound flour are limited. Uh, a lot of the packaging lines are built around a 50 pound bag for food service uh, or even truckloads um, of flour that, 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 that hit the road. So our biggest operational challenge was the packing lines uh, were probably the limiting factor. Okay, interesting. And, and, and how did you go about uh, kind of addressing that in such a short term? Were you able to kind of retool the plant or reconfigure the plant uh, to be able to accommodate that? Because obviously you did. Um, so retooling the plant has, you know, a nine to 12 month timeline. So that's, okay. that's certainly a long-term opportunity. But in the short term, uh, it was adding shifts, you know, adding the, the right people to make that second shift happen, or in some cases, the third shift. And then opportunistically, and, and you can see that on our website right now, we have a three pound pouch of all purpose flour. Uh, we've never produced a pouch bag before for flour, but there was a, an idle line at one of our partners that was normally producing baking mixes. Okay. Uh, and we scrambled to get new packaging for all purpose in place uh, to create a three pound bag. and that opened up, you know, potentially a million bags of flour to our overall supply because it was a new, it was a new packaging line, but it was, it was a different package that we had to work on. Okay. Real quick, what created this demand for, because I have to admit, I have a 12 year old daughter 
who's very athletic, very kind of, she's not very creative person and she's, but all of a sudden she's baking. So I made, uh, I bought her a kind of a decorating kit on Amazon probably three, uh, three months ago. I actually bought it for her friend and I bought her the, the nicer one. Now she bakes everything. I mean, cookies, brownies, uh, like last year, so she went over to her friend's house and I, she took our puppy over and they went, they went baking. She took all of her eggs, all of her milk. <laughs> so we didn't have anything to make, but she's really into it now. So it's crazy. Again, none of us bake. I like to cook, but none of us bake, but she is super into it. And it kind of came out of nowhere. So obviously you've probably seen a lot of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have an 11 year old daughter. That's, that's a, a pretty active athletic uh, kid. And granted, she's probably baking because her dad works at a baking company. But, right. um, but I think everyone has a little different path. You know, I think for, for kids, uh, certainly last three months, they've, they've gone from being at a school all day to being at homeschooling right. and, need, you know, needing or wanting an activity, whether it's something to do with their parents or something to do independently. Um, a lot, adults like baking because in some cases it's soothing. Uh, in some cases, it's something you have control over. You know, you can, you know, baking bread, you, you can need it. You can expect it to do certain things uh, and you, you can feel accomplished. Um, and so I think, you know, we've seen an enormous amount of people jump into sourdough bread baking, uh, which takes time and takes practice. And I think that was a trend before COVID, uh, hit certainly. Um, but now that people had more time on their hands and wanted to actually put their minds to something that they can develop, um, it seemed like a great, a great opportunity for them. Uh, the other thing that is just driving, I think food in general, but baking in particular is the big shift from eating at home versus dining out. Um, and, and there's just a, a general level of you need to be making more. You know, some people are working at home. Kids, kids were at home for school. Uh, now they're at home for summer. Uh, and so that level of shift from dining out to in-home just also adds to demand. Okay. So how does King Arthur Flower typically engage with customers? And how did that change during COVID-19? Um, so I would say fundamentally, fundamentally it didn't change. I, we've spent a number of years, I'm going to say the last five or six years, continuing to build on this relationship that, you know, certainly as a CPG brand, we have a unique way of, uh, for our direct consumer business to operate. We, we, we offer a thousand products. Some of them are King Arthur Flower branded, some are, some are not, uh, direct to consumer. And that's built this awesome relationship. Uh, we've also really built up our social presence, and a lot of it is through developing content, um, baking content, education, inspiration. And so we are building that up. Um, I would say COVID just expanded. Uh, we have a digital engagement team and a, and a free baker's hotline. Uh, seven days a week, you can call and get uh, advice on baking. And we staff that with professional bakers. So folks are... are, are either culinary school trained uh, or have worked in a professional bakery. Uh, and that's important because, you know, it, as people reach out to us on social media, they want to talk to a baker. Um, and that's what they get from us. And so our engagement levels have always been high. Now with baking, you know, the prevalence of baking being so high uh, and more people at home, our numbers are just through the roof. Um, I think over the last few months, we've had 150,000 people reach out to us um, and comment about, about you know, their, you know, what they're doing 
you know, in, in, their, in, their, home, in their home ovens. And so we just have wanted to stick with that. Fortunately, because we are essentially a, a, a group of bakers here, uh, our different parts of the business were, were able to react and help, help the whole business out. So we have a cafe and a retail store here. Those were either closed or significantly, you know, shut down because, um, you know, people couldn't come and take classes at our school. You could only call and collect in terms of our, our retail store. The bakers in our school, so our, our baking instructors, were able to, to jump on the digital engagement team and start answering questions um, online. Uh, our bakery, although it kept baking, was baking less because, you know, the business certainly saw a decline over the last few months. And so we had a couple bakers help out uh, on the phone. So if you called, you might have gotten one of our professional bakers here. Um, and that's helped us, you know, take on a, a, a spike in demand for our services um, that has reached levels above even our holiday levels, which are usually our traditionally high point. That's awesome. That, so do you think this kind of increase in baking is uh, kind of a, of a long-term thing? Do you think it's creating a behavioral shift where people have uh, an increased interest in baking, which obviously is very advantageous for you? Or do you think if things go back to some somewhat uh, normal that you'll see kind of a, kind of a, you know, an ebb in that? Uh, I have two, two answers. One middle, middle term, you know, the next year, I think we'll continue to see um, quite a bit of baking, you know, People are starting to go out to restaurants a little more, are starting to dine out a little more, but I think it'll still be sticky in, in terms of their, their wanting to make more at home. Um, I think so many people have gotten over the hurdle right now of, of what it takes to bake. It's really not that hard. Um, baking bread, it's, you know, it's four ingredients, flour, water, salt, and yeast. Like it, you, you can pull it together pretty quickly, but there's this mental hurdle of like, if I don't know how to do it or if I don't know how to knead and what it's supposed to look like, uh, it's hard to start. But people have, just, have started, so they've gotten over that hurdle. And so I think that really helps the long term that, that we will see a higher level of baking. Um, they've also seen the joy in it, you know, the, the excitement that your daughter, you know, probably sees when she's, you know, proud of what she's able to, you know, as, as, as a young person able to bring to the table because that's probably something new, new for her. Um, and I think people see that, that pride in themselves, but also joy that they can bring to others with baking. So I think it's got, um, you know, maybe not the same level of its peak when everybody is at home and all the kids are at home, but, um, but I think it'll, it'll, we'll see a pretty sustained increase over the next few years. Okay, you, you have a rewards program, the Baker's Reward Plus program. Yeah. Can you talk us a little bit about that program, how it works, uh, and kind of a, is the CPG uh, program, is there any uniqueness in it, or kind of what are the goals or objectives of that, that program? Um, it's a good time, because we're actually, you know, thinking of how to improve it over the next year or two. Uh, so we've had that program in place for quite a while. We built it um, with a lot of research to make sure that it hit a, hit a consumer need, but also had, had a a benefit above and beyond just the financial benefit. So we have two levels of the program. One of them is a paid level. Uh, I would say it acts similar to Prime. You, you pay an annual fee and you get you know free shipping. Um, but there are also some other benefits. If you spend a certain amount of of, of money on your order, uh, you get a ten you know ten dollar coupon to use at at, at a future date. Um, and so essentially, it builds 
a, re, a financial reward to kick back to the, to the consumers that stick with us. Um, we also have a free program, which is great because you don't have to pay anything. Basically, essentially buying something from us enters you into the program. And then there's a cumulative reward uh, that for the most part, after your second order, uh, you get a reward for your third order. Some people have a first order that's large enough to get that reward. Um, it also uh, is a reward program for our local customers here that use our store and our cafe. Um, it's the same structure, but the benefits are a little, the, the use of benefits are a little different because we serve coffee and, and bread at the cafe. So you can, you know, similar to a typical cafe where you, you might, the old school would be like a bread card. You know, buy 10 loaves of bread, get one free. Um, so it definitely, you know, uh, gives some, some long-term rewards for consumers. Uh, so a couple more questions here. Um, how uh, do your employees play in your customer experience, uh, customer loyalty efforts? What role, what role do they have? Um, they play every role. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I kind of, you know, big picture, we're an employee-owned company. And so that drives our culture. You know, they benefit when our consumers love us. Um, and so whether the employees are on the operations team or the sales team uh, or the marketing team, um, they're the ones that are, you know, working to make sure that we provide an exceptional experience to the consumer. Um, and I think everyone here takes that to heart. Um, it's certainly what what drives us each day um, to be better, and 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 also drives our culture. You know, we'll uh, it's a pretty it, you know inclusive and embracing culture. You know, you know people certainly are, are friendly, but but there's there's a drive to make sure that we do the right thing for the consumer, and I'd say that's where that's the biggest role that our employees play. So um, when you look at customer experience, customer loyalty, what do you think the next big uh, idea opportunity is? You know, I, I want to say technology plays a role. I think loyalty programs can, can expand past just the simple financial reward. Um, potentially for a company like ours that, that, that is not just a product company. We're, we, we truly think of ourselves as a baking company and offer education and, and uh, that it could be multi-channel. And technology is probably the way to, to bring that to life. Um, so the, the, the consumer is, is earning rewards from their grocery store purchasing, but also connected to our school, as an, as an example, and, awesome. and really connecting it all. Um, I would say for us, that seems obvious. I think for other companies, it's probably becoming more multi-channel and, 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 and embracing a, a wider spectrum of, of, kind of the consumer behavior. Uh, I think the, one of the last questions we have here is, is how are you kind of measuring success in your customer experience, customer loyalty efforts? You're very unique because you have a product, you have a great store, you have this big educational component you have. You know, how are you measuring the efficacy of your customer experience, customer loyalty efforts? Um, big picture, you know, overall sales, repeat purchase, breadth of, breadth of assortment that people are purchasing in their carts. Uh, so I think that's a, that has to be Part of the equation for, measure, for performance measurement uh, because that's that's a big part of why we we'd invest in it um, qualitatively though it's the comments we get like just really heartfelt comments from 
from customers every day, you know, to some degree having an engaging social platform is really helpful in that. Um, but also, you know, comments we get on, on phone calls or, or, or emails. Um, you know, uh, I heard a story from our hotline the other day where a woman called and, you know, she broke out in, in, in tears because she was so excited about what her baking success was going to mean to her. And I think certainly that's what drives us. You know, the, the, the financial numbers are probably the performance metrics that we have to measure, but it's the, it's the customer reaction that, that drives our wanting to do it more and more. All right. And, and last question we have is, you know, kind of the, what's the biggest challenge you face as a senior level marketer and how do you see that changing? Um, I think the biggest challenge for all of us and certainly is making sure we, we have a team that has a broad skill set, the analytic skill set, the strategic skill set, um, the empathy, you know, the empathetic nature um, of being uh, consumer driven. Um, I'd say that's the biggest challenge for, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's the, the, probably the point I'm most proud of. Like, you know, our, our team is, is the backbone of what we do. They're amazing. Um, I think, but just because they're amazing, like, like I want to, I want to make sure that, that they're able to kind of take the ball and run with it, make sure that they're hiring the right team members. Um, I think that's the biggest challenge because it's, it's a fast moving industry. And technology, I think we all know, moves really quickly. Um, but I think the consumers' behaviors are moving quicker now than they ever have. And so having a team that can can act quickly, has the skill set to to successfully pivot, um, is probably our biggest challenge. And that's awesome. Uh, well, Bill, uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. It's been very interesting to hear about what you guys are doing. I think it's amazing what you guys are doing and, and having me able to live it too in my kitchen every day, every other day, it's been, uh, it's been quite a, uh, an experience. Uh, you, you definitely, uh, and I will, I'll get signed up for the program for as well. Do you, do you ship directly to consumer? We do. Uh, okay. yep. Directly to consumer. Um, Mark, this is great. If I could leave you with two, two suggestions, both, yeah, baking, suggestions. both baking oriented, obviously, one is our, we have, we have something we label recipe of the year, our crispy, cheesy pan pizza. It's okay. just been, been a hit. I, I suggest everyone try that. And this is something I've really actually just recently jumped on. I hadn't done before, but our uh, simple tortilla recipe. Um, it comes together in five minutes and it's at a, you know, a level that anybody, even someone that doesn't cook very often can do and makes, you know, it makes you feel like you're eating in a restaurant. All right. Well, Bill, it's been a, a pleasure talking to you. It's been a, a, a great learning experience for me, and, uh, and I appreciate the time. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much.